0: Playing with Hire, the HR podcast which works well. Presented by Nick Coffer with Alice Bromwich.
1: Yes, it's Playing with Hire, the HR podcast that works well with me, Nick Koffer, and Alice Bromwich, owner of Pioneer Magnolia, which is an HR consultancy. Alice has years of experience working at the highest level in blue chip businesses, bringing what I now understand, and this is having spent some time with you, Alice, in the studio, uh, your unique mix of conventional thinking and uh, occasionally, shall we say, a maverick approach to ensuring that businesses and their people are happy. Is that fair? I think that's a fair summary. So far, we've looked at the nuts and bolts of HR. We've uh, explored the impact of domestic abuse in the workplace. And today we're celebrating the fact that, well, stuff, I'm going to call it stuff, happens and that stuff happens in people's lives and i guess the question today is how can businesses embrace this fact and how can they retain their people who are going through these life events when i say who are we know everyone (laughs) is this is not a selective process alice what what do we mean by this this cycle and what kind of events are are happening during the cycle
0: okay so I guess just to set the foundations in the HR world if I talk about employee life cycle I'm talking around the engagement or the relationship with the employee from the moment where you're trying to attract the employee through maybe your own branding employee branding all the way through their life cycle with you and your business right to the point where they exit and actually there are many businesses that um, you know uh, if you worked for Tesco's, you may exit as an employee, but you may then become a customer. So that engagement element goes all the way through. So when I talk about employee life cycle, I talk around how you put the foundations of HR in place to support your people throughout that cycle.
1: And these are key points, aren't they, at which employers can support their employees and indeed should support their employees?
0: Yes. Yeah, so these are the touch points. So, you know, if you think that um, you're employed to do a role, you turn up to do your role, you exchange a salary for doing that role. You that hope. is your tra- yeah. <laughs> that is your transactional relationship between being an employee and employer. But we know it goes much more than that. So you know the life. Events I will talk about today are things like um, if you need some financial wellbeing support, if you are going to become a parent for the first time, if you're actually getting to the point where you're retiring, at what point? Bereavements, bereavements um, fertility issues, you know, menopause, these are all conversations. So the traditional touch points are there, but actually now we're starting to bring in a lot more of the support that people are requiring and they are w- asking their employees, their workplaces to support them through that life event.
1: In many ways, this isn't a new idea, is it? You look at um, businesses like Cadbury's, they were doing this a hundred years ago. They, they founded themselves on the principles of looking after their employees who were part of their community, part of the Cadbury's family, and ensuring that they looked after them during these these different life events. So how have we progressed In those hundred years since then,
0: and you know, this or have we? Or have we? Is the question. And I think you know, we in the HR world, we go through being called personnel. We go, you know, industrial relations side of things. We then have gone into HR, where we're talking about human capital. Then
1: you became people people. And then we're
0: people. um, Then we don't even know what we're called. We're just there to sort of deal with the problems. Um, But actually, you're right. There are some companies that have been managing the well-being of their people effectively for many years. There are many companies that don't know how to manage the well-being of their people, and it's not necessarily because they don't want to. It's just that, again, God, why is this coming into the workplace? Well, now we've got to manage something else. Actually, I need them to perform. I need them to be doing this. All of the other elements. Surely that should just be left at the door. Let them sort of sort that out in their own way.
1: You mentioned the why. Of course, in the world we're in today, particularly the social media world, there are many businesses who make great capital out of how they look after their employees. Indeed, they, they view it as the mark uh, of a good business, how they look after their people. I'm thinking, for example, of Timpson's, uh, an example I'm sure you know well, where James Timpson, the, the chairman, it's his it's his brand, it's his USP, it's how they look after people who come from difficult backgrounds and how they then retain them. I think Timpson's have an, an insane uh, retention rate. You probably know it much better than I do where staff stay because they're so well looked after. So there is a reason to it beyond the mere uh, safeguarding and beyond merely looking after your staff. It is good for business to be a good business.
0: Yes, it is. And, you know, let's face it, we can talk about supporting people. We can talk about how we support people. We can talk about values. But a lot of the time in HR as well, we talk about measures. And one of the measures is turnover, is retention rates, is, you know, Do you analyze your exit interview information? You know, those metrics can help give maybe a more realistic um, landscape because, you know, when sometimes you ask people their opinions in um, employee surveys, they say what they feel they should say rather than most people are honest when they're leaving
1: (laughs) so to translate this for me so for example uh, a world I know a lot about podcasts um I will look at a podcast I will look at how many people listen to it more importantly in many ways I look at how long they listened for so for example a podcast where people stay till the end is a podcast with happy listeners that that's a fact is that the variant you're talking about here with HR is to use the data that you can ascertain from the different phases of employment to actually look at how well you're doing as an employer.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, it's very difficult to sometimes demonstrate the impact or the influence you've had in HR because it's qualitative. What you need to do is is convert that into something that's quantitative and that is in your numbers and your figures. So, you know, do you, is is a measure of your success to retain people over 2 years if that's what you choose as a business then that's what you choose um to measure if you feel that successful or not.
1: Slightly off topic, is this where you HR professionals struggle to actually show your worth and your value to a business? Because ultimately it is a bit ephemeral. You go in, you, you do your policies, you, you make sure that everything kind of looks all right and then you leave. Is this one of the ways in which you can actually tangibly show the progress in the impact of what you've done?
0: Yes, it is. And when you have to submit your slides to the board report, inevitably, It shows days of absence, turnover rates. You know, it has those metrics. It has the transactional metrics on there for you. Um, Do I feel that sometimes they are measures which are fair? Yes and no. I think sometimes they're put in because people want to measure something that's quantitative.
1: And can you manipulate them?
0: Of course you can. You can manipulate every, any metrics can be manipulated. But actually for me... It, the commentary that's behind it is the bit that's actually important. So, you know, we need the qualitative, we need the quantitative, but um, how you measure your impact can be quite difficult in HR sometimes. However, I do feel that you can measure it in different ways. So when we're talking about life events, the feedback or the, how you're responding to people um, I feel you can get feedback from there, which is more effective than maybe looking at your
1: numbers. Explain that to me. At what point do you get that feedback and how do you get that feedback?
0: So you don't always get it. This is the problem. So I will give an example that uh, a few years ago, I had to um, go through quite a significant amount of redundancies within a business. And it's never a pleasant experience. You
1: love that bit.
0: I, I don't mind it, actually. You, you if, mind
1: the human part of it. But you, yeah, but so the wh-
0: resizing and restructuring a business so it's more efficient going forward, actually, I can do that. I can look at those numbers I can and, and I can make decisions on why that would be there. Still, when you tell somebody you are ter- you are terminated due to redundancy, those words, you know, it doesn't matter. It still feels personal, even if you're saying this is about the role. But I bring that up because a few years ago, um, I had, like I say, going th- went through a big redundancy resizing project. And about 18 months, two years later, somebody contacted me and said, I just want to say to you. I'm sorry I gave you such a raw deal. (laughs) I know it wasn't personal, but at the time it felt like it was. Now that feedback, and she almost thanked me for helping
1: support them. Thanks for making me redundant.
0: But actually, thank you in doing it in the way that you did. And... You don't deliver these things expecting the recognition back again at all. I don't, maybe other people do, but actually to receive it. So for me, when we talk about life events, redundancy is a life event. It has a huge impact on many levels, how you manage that in the business and how you support, not just at that point of consultation, but potentially with onboarding, with helping in the networks. This is an ex-employee who took their time to contact me to say thank you for the support at the time.
1: So how can businesses do that? I don't know whether you could give me three key ways that a business can ensure that, that those life events are handled correctly and to the benefit of the employee and the employer.
0: So I think this is joining up the dots. I think as a company, as an employer, you can invest in decent um, insurance schemes so employer insurance schemes uh, schemes that are you know will look after if there's a debt in service if looks after longer term absences potentially um, supports from a financial point of view that means as a business you don't have to make those difficult decisions because you know you've got the insurances to to fall back on so I think you can support through through getting some of those structural things in place. I think you can then go on to the point where you talk about wellbeing policies. Now, in the last couple of years, these have been discussed in much more detail, which is brilliant, by the way. I'm not taking away from any of that. Um, But again, don't focus on just one area because if you're focusing on just mental health in the workplace, which again has been hugely required over the last couple of years. How do we support the mental health of our people? But then you've got to really think about what those, all the factors that impact someone's mental health will be. So when I talk about well-being, this isn't just a wellbeing policy. This is about getting the structures in place. This is about setting the agenda and then actually just doing it the right way.
1: But many businesses will feel that, merely having a robust or several robust policies in place is enough. Is it enough?
0: No, it's not enough because actually, like I've said before, there's no point having a handbook which is 100 pages long when you only pick it up when you need to look at it. It's how you respond on a day-to-day basis. So if that person calls in and says, I've had a really bad night's sleep and you know that they've got some personal things going on, I don't think I'm going to be in on time actually give them the flexibility to come in at 10 o'clock if somebody has had bereavement in the workplace then use the support services that you may have under the death in service benefits that you potentially offer there are lots of things there around um, probate support etc etc but actually maybe have a conversation around do you want to have flexible working is there a period of time how can we support you in another way because then you've got two things which are supporting rather than, it's just not lip service. And I think that, um, yeah, have a policy. I talk about policies all the time. Have a policy, but actually live and breathe it in that way you
1: behave. And is living and breathing it actually a euphemism for having vision, actually seeing beyond what's in front of you?
0: Um. Yes. So this is where actually as a HR leader, this will give you the step above. Because actually, if you've got a vision that and you put the structures in place and you get the tools and you invest everything this is where actually you're considering the whole business so yes you're in you're considering that individual person's situation their life event that you need to support them through but actually you're thinking they've got a skill set that we need they are a valuable person to us we consider them as part of our team and actually them not Being able to perform at that point in time is a point in time. But we value them because in two years' time, we've got a succession plan and we want them to take on. So it's considering the bigger picture.
1: Which is all very nice, except in many businesses, or shall I say in some businesses, these life events are used as an excuse or a mask or a veil to actually begin to manage someone out or move them on or change their role. How do you deal with those situations?
0: So most of the life events that I will we come across are would fall under being a protective characteristic. So,
1: and remind me what what we mean by pro- right. Protective so it's a
0: terminology that we use um, in employment law. So there are a number of protective characteristics. So if I just pick one or two. So if you are overlooked for a promotion because you are a female and you have taken time out of the business because you're having IVF treatment, because you're having IVF treatment, you are hopefully going to go on maternity leave and you're overlooked for that promotion because they know about this life event, then that is discrimination. If you are somebody who has put in a flexible working request because you are a carer and you are caring for elderly parents, but you are also yourself potentially getting to the point of retirement age and you've asked for support around pension support and then you are overlooked for a role because they think they're not going to be in this business very long. They're only working four days a week. That is discrimination.
1: And yet it's easy to do. its Or should I say it's an easy trap to fall into.
0: The- bias and the judgment that is around or is formed around life events happens frequently it takes like i say a hr leader with vision or with strong values or a leader in a business to be bold to say no this is not how we this is not how our culture operates um yes we're going to support you for that life event yes we recognize that you are part of our team we are happy to still promote you even when you're on maternity leave for more information about the hr services offered by peony and magnolia head over to peony there you can join the mailing list so you can receive the latest thoughts and advice from alice directly into your mailbox
1: let me put you on the spot Uh, I'm about to try and condense uh, years of experience, thousands of pounds of retainer fees into about 20 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) You you are the employer. You are faced with these life events, such as pregnancy, such as uh, undergoing IVF, uh, such as losing your father, such as domestic abuse that we talked about in the last episode. Is there one thought, the first thought, one sentence, one action that that employer should do every time they're faced with that moment. Now, I know that is condensing a wealth of knowledge into one sentence, but what should that response be? The, the response that ensures that at very least you're on the right track.
0: That response should be, is that person okay? How can we support? And that is putting people above profit because actually, if you have set your business up with n- knowing that if somebody is going to need some time off for IVF treatment, and you've got policies that support that and pay them, and you have a really decent maternity paternity policy that supports and potentially provides a coach to them to help transition out to being a parent who then can help tr- th- all of these things, if you are that company, then that your first response is, OK, how can we support? Let's sit down and, and let's have a well-being conversation, how we can support you.
1: But surely there comes, uh, it, it's a brilliant response, but surely there comes a point at which it is too expensive for a company to be that company, to be that person, to be uh, that, that very socially minded company that that, that puts, as you say, people above profit, there are many businesses, especially in the current very difficult economic conjuncture, who are more worrying about paying their, their energy bills than putting their people above profit.
0: It's a good question, Nick, because actually profit is what keeps the business going. And um, for myself, paying people is one of the fundamental <laughs> uh, must-haves in a business.
1: Um, and that doesn't always happen.
0: It doesn't always happen. And I've been in rooms where that hasn't happened and it's not a pleasant experience and if we think that actually employers are people's main source of income so if they don't get paid or there isn't the the cash in the business to pay them that has a huge impact you know we are in a situation where financial well-being is being discussed more and more um not being paid your base salary or being paid, say, overtime that you're relying on actually is a huge worry for, for everybody, not just the employer. So I do understand, you know, all this sort of fluffy HR, let's talk about people's well being. Actually, fundamentally, we need to keep a business running. And yes, we do. We do need to keep that business running. And if you don't keep it running, then you're going to have to really think about resizing. How do you do that? And that's where I go back to, you know, setting it up correctly in the first place to help support when you hit crisis point. And I think that's the, the really big crux of, of investing in your people is when things are great, they're great. Everybody's engaged. Everyone's maybe getting profit share. Wonderful. But actually, the support that's needed when the company's less stable or when there are multiple people coming to you saying we've got we're st- stress related or we're having mental health problems or the workplace is having an impact. Actually, how have you set your business up to manage at that time is possibly more important than when, you know, you're throwing your pennies around.
1: Let's talk about accountability. Uh, let's talk about uh, the impact a business can have on, on the society in which it operates, on the environment within which it operates. ESG. Why is that linked to this topic?
0: Well, so, you know, ESG for myself is actually about putting people before profit. And there are a lot of HR people that possibly aren't involved in this conversation. And I don't really like the word should,
1: but. But you're going to say should be
0: really could be putting themselves into a space, which yeah, involves... It's very bizarre,
1: Alice, because your, your, your mouth said could, but your lips wrote <laughs> should. It was quite an interesting...
0: <laughs> okay. Again, if you're going to be a bold HR professional, you need to align yourself and understand... What the wider conversation around ESG is. So, if people don't know, that's environmental, social, and governance. Now, we do governance in HR a lot, compliance, environmental. There's been a huge, a lot of commentary around people's um, environmental footprints. Um, you know, green tax, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When we look at the social side from a HR point of view, then. This is talking around the organizational support, their stakeholders. Now, stakeholders isn't just their customer. Um, It can be internal stakeholders, their employees. So actually, this goes more, this is deeper. This is more around the well-being of their employees. This is a social impact that um, companies need to consider. So yes, when we talk about it, companies having a real... (sighs) don't just do business for the sake of doing business, do it really well and do it with all of these things in your mind, because then you're going to go from being a good employer to a great employer. Those companies that are okay at the moment are going to slip right down to being really bad employers. Um, So, you know, we talk about leverage, we talk about competitive edge in, in business. You're talking about profit beforehand. Actually, Which company are people going to go and want to work for? The great employer that's thought about this or the really bad employer?
1: Are you suggesting that uh, a context like we have at the moment, which is probably unique in our lifetime. This context will amplify the great businesses and they will appear even greater. And it will also amplify those who are operating below the radar in a way that they probably shouldn't be. It will amplify that as well. So so the difference between those two kinds of business will grow. And that's where actually, even in these constrained times, investment in HR, investment in HR professionals is a sensible investment
0: it is a sensible investment and where we were talking about measures previously how do you measure how do you measure this impact it's quite difficult to measure the social impact on your employees however you can demonstrate it by saying we support xyz charity we have a voluntary Day every year. Our company downs tools and we go and support a community project. This isn't just because we're ticking the boxes for the next investment round. This is about how we operate and why we operate and why we invest in not just our environment, but actually the people that work there.
1: I'm loath to bring politics into this. I'm not saying that all business owners are right wing. I'm not saying all HR people are left wing. However, the more I talk to you, the more it appears that HR is quite a socially minded activity. Uh, It is a people focused activity and that must put you in conflict with business owners who are very, very driven by bottom line.
0: Yes. And I think it really much depends on what type of HR person you speak to. So for myself, yes, I am. And this is why when I talked about in the very first episode, you know, I am a HR professional, I have the experience, but it's how you use that experience and in the right company. So I can go into some businesses and I can see that there's going to be a conflict that actually my way of delivering HR, my my expertise are not going to be received because they don't want that type of HR. Even
1: actively disliked.
0: Yes, they're going to say, how much does it cost? What are we going to get in return? Can you sack these people for me? You know, I don't care at any cost. We want settlement agreements in place, which is fine. That's fine if that's how you want to operate. But for myself, the footprint that you've left behind on those people, the impact you've had on those people's lives will stay there. If you manage maybe a very difficult situation in the right way, the footprint that you've left on them will go with them in a different way. They can take that forward. And this is, you know, we talked about this before, Nick, you know, HR do get a bad name. They do, and and quite rightly so in some cases, because people are treated, like I've just said, in, you know, in that way, hired and fired without any real thought about the the person.
1: And yet ultimately the principle that you're espousing here, and I suspect many of the uh, the peers that you frequent, because I would imagine you all have a very similar view, this is about how you bring staff on board how you retain them, how you keep them well and happy.
0: Yes, it is. And we, you, I mean, everyone will have seen in the last sort of 12 months around, you know, the recruitment world is bonkers. And, you know, turnover, we've had, you know, low unemployment, high employment, all of these things. It's, it there's skills, getting hold of the correct skills, for wanting to retain talent, et cetera, et cetera. This is a very topical conversation. Actually, To, like we've said before, to employ somebody costs quite a lot of money. To retain them, to develop them, to then get them on a succession plan. This is an investment. Supporting them through life events is an investment. But you're doing that because you like your people, hopefully. (laughs) You're not, (laughs) you know, we're doing this because we've invested in our people, you know, That is why investing in people, accreditation, is called that. What do you put in place to invest in
1: your people? And ultimately, is this not about, uh, instead of putting all the responsibility onto the shoulders of your HR person to get this right, this is about management taking the responsibility to get their culture right and get their structure right?
0: Yes, this is about leaders. This is about, so, you know, I talk about the golden thread. I'm very old school in my HR world, but. The golden thread goes through everything. So, if the leaders are living, breathing, and respectful of what the HR professionals are taking to them, suggesting this is what we should do, advising them on, and that's respected, then that will go through the business. So, in HR, you need to you need to earn earn, and I mean that in the sense of you need to be able to to live and breathe and demonstrate that the right ways of working. And that's how people respect you, employees, and that's how you also gain respect within a more senior team, is because there's a trust to them. And I think that ultimately comes down to it. If if what from a HR point of view, if you are putting initiatives, strategies, vision into place that people trust when things go wrong, you will support them and the leadership will support you. Then that is that is when you've got the biggest influence.
1: And ultimately, briefly, as overwhelming as this may feel, having a strong HR voice within a business has to be part of that future strategy, doesn't it?
0: It has to be. And it can be overwhelming at times because equally I've sat in, you know, board meetings and around the table and you get your five minutes of fame and then you've got to say what it is. And, you know, actually we spend 20 minutes talking around the sales strategy or we talk about this and, and it doesn't seem to always have as much air time. Um, but yes, having a strong HR voice and being able to speak with validity being able to go with authenticity is incredibly important within a senior team.
1: And talking of your uh, your five minutes of fame and talking of airtime, I hope you've enjoyed your, what, 30, 35 minutes of fame and, and airtime. It's been really interesting to hear you look at the importance of wellbeing, the importance of managing uh, the life cycle of employees and managing the life events that happen to employees during that life cycle. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast series, which both myself and Alice uh, sincerely hope you are, uh, don't forget to follow uh, whatever app you're using, you're using, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify uh, or Acast, wherever you may be, um, just click on follow and that means that you'll be notified of uh, future episodes of the uh, Playing With Higher podcast series, uh, the next one of which will deal with um, quite a difficult topic. We're going to be talking about inclusion, Alice. What, what will that entail?
0: That will entail people thinking about their own standpoint before opening their mouths talking about others
1: which is a very good lesson for anyone presenting on the radio (laughs) or a podcast Alice uh, just remind us uh, where we can find you
0: you can go to my website which is uh, peonyandmagnolia.com on LinkedIn I'm quite vocal there and also drop me an email if you like to alice at peonyandmagnolia.com
1: great stuff really enjoyed uh, that today as I say next episode uh, all about uh, inclusion a lot to cover in that don't forget the first two episodes of this series where we looked at the nuts and bolts of HR and also uh, how to manage the very complex question of domestic abuse, uh, if that's happening uh, to one of your employees. That's it for episode three. Alice, we'll see you next time.
0: Bye, Nick.